The Action Network Podcast, named Best Betting Podcast or Radio Show by the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association, and the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network Podcast. This is the college football betting preview week one. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. We have a sort of a a slate here to get to. Are you excited? (laughs) Multiple games on the slate, but it shows you like we have to be prepared for everything because 24 hours ago, we recorded the ACC and Big 12 previews, and today it was just like all hell broke loose, right? Like, Jamie Newman has opted to sit out for the season, which is wild because Georgia just had their final scrimmages. Newman took the first snaps with the first team. JT Daniels came afterwards, still got snaps with the first team, but JT Daniels hasn't even been cleared. So I've seen people on Twitter say, well, obviously Newman wasn't secure for the job. JT Daniels isn't even cleared. And Daniels couldn't make the cut with all those receivers at USC. What a 24 hours since you and I just last recorded. I mean, this is going to be a wild season. One, uh, two podcasts a week. I'm not sure that's enough for you and me. They might need to chain you and I to a live feed somewhere to, to handicap this shit. College football is getting weird. Yeah, we have LSU opt outs, huge major opt outs, and UCF opt outs. We'll get to that at the end. Um, the first thing, oh, and by the way, if you can still find like a Florida six to one to win the SEC, Georgia and LSU opt outs, guess who that helps? We're, what we're going to do today, we'll get into the. FBS games. I think there's four on Saturday of pure FBS matchups. One on Monday night. So we have some Monday night football. We'll talk some FCS. I, I mean, there's not there lines out. I don't, we don't, there's not a ton of info we have. Look, there's so much other stuff going on with tennis and baseball, NFL coming up. And like, it's so hard to get any info on these FBS schools anyway. And then with like COVID, it's not something that I'm rushing to do, but we'll, we'll throw out a few nuggets for those. But before we do, I do just want to mention that we have a pro, an Action Network Pro subscription to give out, uh, a year-long subscription for free. So just go and leave a review. Um, as always, subscribe, unsubscribe, tell a friend, tell an enemy. You guys are the reason that we've had so much success. Won an award, got sponsored by BetMGM. So we'll give out a, a free pro subscription. Just go leave a review and say it's the number one podcast for sports bettors. Leave your uh, Twitter handle on there, and uh, our producer will pick a winner by the end of day on Friday. And as always, if you haven't already, make sure you download the Action app. You can follow our picks on there and all of our content. Um, All right, so let's dive right in to Saturday's slate. It's another fabulous weekend of college football. Let's check out the marquee matchups we'll all end up betting for week one. There are four FBS games. The first one I am extremely excited for because it involves a service academy and that is middle tennessee state at army 
at it's at 1:30 Eastern on CBS Sports Network. This line was Army minus five. I think it's come down to three at BetMGM, and I took some three and a half on Middle Tennessee State. I have to do this like every year with the first time we talk about service academies. I am not a huge trend player. I don't really care about trends. I don't care about, you know, what a team wearing red helmets does on a weekday after playing a team with black helmets. If there's no causation, I don't care about the correlation. But the one trends I always follow are the ones in regards to service academies. And we, we, we'll talk about the unders, you know, unders when two service academies play each other, but that's not relevant this week. Generally speaking, service academy teams are very good bets as underdogs, especially, you know, as the spread rises, uh, and not great bets as favorites, especially double-digit favorites. Air Force, Army, and Navy as underdogs. Since 2005, 132, 116 against the spread, about 53.2%. As favorites, they're 121, 151, and 5, 44.5%. Double-digit favorites, even lower at 42.7%. Army is, since 2005, out of 151 teams in our Bat Labs database, they're the worst team against the spread as a favorite of a field goal or more. They're 18-33-2. It's about 35% against the spread. Failing to cover about by an average of about three points per game. That's negative 31% ROI. So why are they such good bets as underdogs, not as favorites? They're model breakers. These teams are model breakers. And you say, why, why hasn't the market adjusted to all these service academy trends? Well, a lot of people with their models, they're incapable of pricing these service academies correctly because, look, all these advanced stats out there, success rate, uh, yards per play, uh, all these things that you go anything, it doesn't really apply to Army, Navy, and Air Force because if you're gaining three yards on first down, it's not, that's good. That's okay for a service academy. When you're going for it on fourth down, fourth and one, fourth and two, every time, no matter where you are. So it's, and then, you know, they're obviously, they have the ball forever. The time possessions using the clock is just running and running and running. So it's very hard to cover as a, as a larger favorite. In this game in particular, Middle Tennessee State, they have Asher O'Hare, dual, dual threat quarterback coming back. They have a lot returning on offense. And I think that they can take advantage of uh, a pretty suspect Army defense that lost its leading tackler, linebacker, and Christensen and its best cornerback in Riley. They don't get any pressure either, zero pressure. And on the other side of the ball, Army on offensive, you know, obviously they're just going to run the ball. That's what they do. You know, Jabari Laws is their best quarterback on the roster, but he's not cleared yet. So it looks like it's going to be Christian Anderson. Kelvin Hopkins is no longer around. They lost a lot on this offense. There's questions about the offensive line. Reports out of the Army camp have not been positive. And obviously they lost spring. They lost summer preparation, which really hurts a team like that. That has to be coached up and repetition helps. And on the other side of the ball, Middle Tennessee State, they, you know, they're going to have more time to prepare for the triple option. Now, they, they thought they were going to play Duke first, and they installed a game plan, and then Troy, and then they installed a game plan, and then it ended up being Army. But they still had, you know, close to a month to prepare for this, and that's the key to defending the option. You need repetition, and you, you, need, cause you need to be fundamentally sound. So the more times you can see it and practice against it, the better, you know, especially if you see the option a couple times in a year. But if you have a bye week before you play an option team, or if you're playing in week one, and Army's just 4-11 and 11 against the spread um, over the last 15 years in their season opener. Middle Tennessee State, the thing that jumps out to me is their defense could not defend the pass, could not get any pressure at all. 
Uh, they do have excellent safeties. They have some decent linebackers. They'll get blanket chip back as a start safety. So I think that they're going to come up and help in their run game. But Army can't really take advantage of Middle Tennessee's biggest weakness, which is their pass defense. It's their secondary, and it's their pass rush. If you don't have those two things, it doesn't really hurt against Army. So I took the three and a half. I'd take anything at three or above. I think this is a coin flip. And uh, Army, the secondary, and their offense, they might be in trouble. Their offense might struggle early. There's a lot going on at Army. What, uh, what are your thoughts here? Well, I'm kicking myself for not taking the opener of five, but it's, you know, it's, it's usually an autoplay when I see an opener of five and my number's at one and a half. That's when a couple weeks into the season and I trust the power ratings a bunch more. And plus, when you're betting on Army football, it's not just a regular handicap. I mean, you have to go in and see how it is in the trenches. And that's where I got a little bit nervous about backing Middle Tennessee State. They have lost, uh, you know, some players on D. They're anchored by their linebacker, DQ Thomas. He was second in tackles with 54. Uh, Their defensive tackle, Poitras, is going to be back. He made 23 of 24 possible tackles on 295 plays last year. So they have a little bit of experience, you know, in between the tackles as far as playing defense. But there's a video floating out there, Stockstill after, you know, Coach Stockstill right after a, a practice saying, we had Duke scheduled. We had a game plan for Duke, and we haven't seen the triple option since 2013. <laughs> I was like, oh my. it's a big undertaking for him and his DC uh, to get these guys ready for the triple option. And so that I laid off the five a little bit. And by the time it started moving, I thought, well, maybe I need to visit and see whatever is going on with the Army team. You know, because Middle's biggest weakness, and, and you mentioned it, is getting to the quarterback. They were 130th last year in sack rate. Doesn't matter here. I mean, you don't need a sack rate to play Army. They were 106th in Havoc. They were, I mean, they were terrible against the run. You know, so uh, on the Army side, Munkin had an interview. Uh, I think it was posted to the Army Twitter handle, and he said specifically, uh, no spring practice. Camp workouts were later than usual. Uh, our schedule's been changing. I'm, I'm displeased with the false starts and the offensive focus that we've had in camps. And that made me go back to think about what Army is as an offensive line. Because if you look at this offensive line, they're searching for not only a new quarterback, they only have two, uh, their center and their right tackle returning. And the way that they're practicing, if you go a little bit deeper into the way they're practicing, they're not, their offensive linemen are not lining up like next to each other. They're not shoulder to shoulder. And when you run a triple option offense, Every all five offensive linemen have to be in sync. They have to be stepping the right way. If there's a trap, you have to be able to have a pulling guard. They're hitting blocking dummies. They're running at rolling tires. And Munkin said specifically, we haven't done that because if somebody comes down with COVID, anybody they've had contact with in, in practice has to sit out too. So he's protected the entire team, but that hurts the triple option offense. So huge advantage here for Middle Tennessee and for Asher O'Hara, who's going to be the star of this game. He, he is the, going to be the best player on this field. Uh, Army's defense last year, I mean, they have to return a lot. Uh, they're returning production-wise. Uh, you know, 44th in, in returning production on defense. They were 78th in success rate. Uh, I think that their secondary could absolutely get torched. Army was 120th in havoc last year, not taking the ball away, not getting tackles, not giving any getting any sacks. 101st in defensive passing and EPA. Uh, they allow explosive plays, and that's all Asher O'Hara is. He gets all his big threats back. He gets Jaron Pierce back, Jimmy Marshall, Zach Dobson, C.J. Windham, Chisholm. 65% of his deep threats, he gets them all back. Specifically, Jimmy Jaron Pierce was O'Hara's like third down go-to guy, most targeted guy. 21% of targets on third down was to Pierce. You know, Army was 117th in sack rate. Asher O'Hara is going to be able to do what he wants. He's going to be able to throw downfield. And this Army offense, 
we're going to fade him this week, and then we're going to look at him against a UL, ULM team next week that just had the defensive coordinator, uh, you know, step aside and, and, and basically relieve himself of the position, retire for personal stuff. So Army's a fade this week. We'll look to back him next week. Yeah, O'Hare, can, he can move too. He can get a lot of yards on the ground. But if Army just doesn't get much natural pressure, he's going to have time back there. Army's really going to miss Elijah Riley, their senior cornerback. He's now on an NFL roster. He might end up being a safety for the Eagles this year. So, yeah, I just think, look, I know they've had to go through two game plans, but um, they've had extra time to prepare for the option. And Army can't take advantage of Middle Tennessee's weakness on defense. And Army just has questions all over. They may struggle early. And I like what Middle Tennessee has returned. So I'll take, I think this is a coin flip game. So I'll take the points, anything in a field goal or above. All right, let's move on to the second game on Saturday, 430 Eastern on ESPN. SMU a 22-point favorite at BetMGM, the official odds provider of the Action Network podcast. Uh, Over-under sitting up around 70. It's risen a couple points from its open yeah, we know what SMU wants to do. They want to go extremely fast, and they're going to put up points. They're going to put up a lot of points against this defense. They were one of only four teams in the country last year to average over 80 plays per game, along with Tulsa, Wake Forest, and Syracuse. Look, Texas State, these are your boys, or were your boys. Then they became <laughs> my boys for a couple weeks and just burned me over and over again. There's your boy Vit. Vit Nation, he's no longer the starter. He lost the quarterback competition to Brady McBride, transfer from Memphis. And we'll talk about Memphis here shortly. Does Texas State, do the Bobs, your Bobs, have any shot of hanging in here early? What do you see? According to the advanced stats, they have no shot. Uh, SMU, 75% returning production on offense. And I would assume that all 25% that's missing from that offense is James Prochet. So, uh, you know, Bouchelle is still there. All the other receivers are still there. Uh, this team can go uh, <laughs> as fast as they want to go. I don't think there's going to be any resistance in the Texas State uh, mm-hmm. secondary, which, I mean, they suffered uh, pretty big from returning production this year. Right now, they, they had 59% returning on offense. They have 32% returning on defense. That is one of the lowest in all of FBS, uh, maybe outside of like Utah on defense. That's about where Texas State is. Uh, you know, success rate. Texas State was 126 in success rate on offense. A lot of that was Vitt's issue, Gresh's issue, you know, 106th on, on success rate on the de- defensive side. Those numbers are not going to hold up against an SMU team that should be locked and loaded and ready to go. Uh, I mean, if you look at some of the advanced stats from last year, just everything with Texas State is red. Everything is below 115th out of 130 teams. Uh, you look at SMU, they were fourth last year in seconds per play. Uh, Sonny Dykes is going to get up there. Trust me, by the time SMU gets to the following week and they're playing TCU, he wants them like a well-oiled machine. He wants them. He doesn't need any interruptions to this whatsoever. You know, I expect SMU to put up as many points as possible. Power rating-wise, I had this at 22, so I never saw any value. I think even if this gets to 24th, SMU was one of those teams last year where the point spread was about correct when we would podcast on it on Thursday, and by the time Saturday morning came around, the thing would steam three points through dead numbers, and I don't see any reason why this won't happen again on Saturday morning. question is, is what number is it going to take for you to bite with a Texas State team that's completely replacing a defense and lost to this SMU team by 30 last year? And here's the thing. like If you're getting a little froggy and you think that you want to take an underdog with Texas State, last year they lost by 30, and SMU had three turnovers. Right? I mean, SMU gave them three turnovers and they still beat 
the Bobs by 30. So I don't think there's a number here that's going to get me to buy on Texas State. Are you kidding me? Texas State? They haven't had a Sun Belt win since 2015? Texas State. Now, what I am interested in is using yards per play, using pace, using, you know, a few other advanced metrics. My total for this, if this would have been played at the end of last year, was around 59. So that number that's out there right now, uh, I believe, you know, per BetMGM, 69.5 on the total. Um, Is Texas State going to be able to do their job to get over that total? Uh, I think that's the question here. Is Texas State going to be able to put points on the board? If they are, this is going to fly over the total because SMU is going to run plays as fast as they can and and, and have explosive passes as, as many times as they can throw. Uh, for me, this is an underplay on the total, especially if we get some steam. I, I don't see how Texas State does their part to score their points against this SMU defense. It, it's a no play on, on the spread. It, it's going to be, you know uh, – everything for me is going to be on the total, probably an under. And that's really just a fade of the fact that I don't think Texas State can score their, their share of the line uh, of the points. The one thing that gives me hesitation about that is we know that SMU is going to fly, right? And they're going to go fast and they're going to put up points against this defense. When Spavadol first got to Texas State, we believed that they were going to try and go, and I know every coach says this, but they were try, going to try and go more up-tempo. But they really couldn't because their quarterback play was – so bad when your quarterback play is really bad and then your defense, you know, your, your offense is going three and out and then you're punting the ball right back to the other team and your defense is to come on the field and your defense is just getting worn down. You have to slow, slow up on offense, even if you want to go faster. What is the offense going to look like under Brady McBride? Is, is it going to be a functional offense? If it is, maybe they can go faster and show more tempo. We know that SMU is going to go really fast. Um, that's the only thing that gives me a little pause, but yeah, I mean, this is, this looks to me like a stay away, but I, I couldn't fault you for taking an under this high with uh, a lot of questions about the Texas state offense. Even if Texas state, you know, they were 44th in seconds per play. So, uh, you know, I know, and I know Spavadol coming from West Virginia. I know that he wants to run a higher, higher pace, but they were, you know, their success rate on offense, they were 128th in rushing success and a hundredth in passing success. It just, it's not good, and, and Havoc allowed they were 118. So anytime they try to get cute with the ball, and we know that from having plenty of money on, on Tyler Vitt, that pick that ball sixes. seemed uh, – yeah, it's just pick six city. So I don't know if – I'll, I'll get a play into the app. I'm not sure how much money I'm going to get invested on the under. I just think in the 70s is going to be a little bit too high for a Texas State team. So maybe, uh, you know, maybe the old, uh, you know, one Benjamin Franklin throw at it and, and, and just have a good time with that and maybe parlay it into a Kentucky Derby bet. Yep. Well, that game is at 4.30 Eastern. That is the last afternoon game between FBS teams. We do have one at night between Arkansas State and Memphis. That MGM, this line is sitting at Memphis minus 19.5. The over has uh, risen quite a bit here, sitting around 74-ish. So when you look at Memphis, the first, look, we were talking about breaking news. One of the best running backs in the country decided to opt out in Kenneth Gainwell. This is still a very, very capable offense with Brady White at quarterback through for, what, 4,000 yards. They have, you know, they lost some, they lost Antonio Gibson, um, and they they lost their tight end, but they still have Coxie at wide receiver. This is an offense that still should put up points. The defense also returns a lot, but they are going through a 
transition under Mike McIntyre and basically the, the entire, there's a, they went through a coaching change and the entire defensive staff was revamped. And last year they ran a four, three, Mike McIntyre is a three, four guy through and through. And he says, Hey, we're going to, my defense is going to be multiple. Every, every coordinator says that. And yeah, it'll be multiple depending on who they're playing and down in distance, but this is a, a three, four base. I don't know if it necessarily fits Memphis's defensive roster. You do bring a lot back, but it's going to a three, four. I don't know if they have the size up front for the three down linemen. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure how it's going to fit. Now, they do have a ton of edge rushers that should thrive in this system. They're going to go against an Arkansas State offense that can put up points. And you have Logan Bonner coming back from injury. He is going to start, but they say that Hatcher's going to get in, and, and he was successful too last year. They do lose They do lose Omar Bales, who's one of the best receivers in the country last year, but they still have a lot of weapons. Um, they return their leading rusher. Offensive line was awful last year, but they do return all five starters up front. So you'd think maybe that unit can be a little better. They're going to put up points. I make this line around 17 and with Gainwell opting out. I mean, I deduct half a point to a point for Memphis. I mean, he's, he's that good there. I, there might be some growing pains early in this new defensive scheme for Memphis. So at 19, 19 and a half, I kind of like, the Red Wolves here. Their defense is bad. I'm not going to sit here and say it's not. Uh, what do you see here in this game? Yeah, I projected this game at 19, and and that's uh, where the spread has been most of the week. So there really hasn't been an edge for me as far as you know that department goes. Uh, looking at the you know some of the advanced stats on seconds per play, Arkansas State is the one that's going to push tempo. People seem to think that Memphis is uh, you know an over team and that all their games are in the 70s, but you would actually be a little bit surprised to find out that uh, Memphis actually is, um, I think, in the 50s around plays per game, and, and they're actually seconds per play is around mid of FBS. So it's just that they're highly explosive. That's the problem. Right. It's, not, it's not that they rush up to the line. They actually burn a lot of clock. They're just extremely explosive. So to look at these teams, you know, let's just we'll dive, dive right into it. Arkansas State, they're 77% uh, offenses returning, and they're 83rd in success rate, and they only have half their defense returning. Uh, same thing, about 79th in success rate. Uh, Memphis had a top 20 success rate team on offense. Uh, they returned 69%, but that's obviously a lot lower without – Gainwell, uh, and they were top 40 in success rate on defense. People don't give Memphis enough credit for, especially in games against Cincinnati, about the havoc they were able uh, to put on to uh, the Bearcats, and they returned 77% of that defense. So, you know, Gainwell accounted, he, he was very important in that offense, and, and to Brady White, he accounted for 38 targets on third down, more than any other player, and it wasn't even close. Um, you know, Arkansas State's D was 27th in, in defensive pass EPA, um, that was like the only thing on defense they were good at was stopping explosive passing. So maybe that plays a factor here a little bit. Uh, but you know, the, the Memphis passing attack was fifth last year in passing EPA. So they're a highly explosive offense. And like I said, Arkansas state's going to push tempo. One thing that bothers me about Arkansas state is they were 121st in defensive finishing drives. That's just not a stat for 2019. Like every year they are terrible in defensive finishing drives. Memphis is going to score at will when they get past the 40 yard line. And Arkansas State themselves on offense were 35th and finishing drive. So when you see the the, the steam on the total go up, you know, in, in the in the mid 70s, uh, there's a good reason for that. Arkansas State's going to push tempo, and both these teams are excellent at finishing drives once they get to the 40 yard line. So and also two you know, really good kickers in this game. 
And yeah, yeah. Right. I was going to get to the special teams. Memphis special teams returns everybody, and they're coached by probably one of the best special teams, former head coach in the MAC, uh, Pete Limbo. You know, they were top 10 in field goal efficiency, kickoff efficiency, kick return efficiency, all those numbers per football outsiders. Memphis is going to be able to do it at once on special teams. Uh, they should have great field position all game. And, and, you know, you look at Arkansas State, they were 126th in kickoff efficiency last year. So field position game is going to be won by Memphis. Uh, I expect this to be a lightning quick game. I hate to come on this pod and tell people to take an over when a total is where it is. Uh, but at the same time, there's just no way I'm taking an under in this game. BetMGM right now is at 73 and a half. Um, I, I just don't know at what number I would be taking it under here because these two teams want to push it. From a spread perspective, I think it's dead on. I mean, I make this 17 and then you lose Gainwell. If this game is like Memphis by 21 or 24 at the end, I mean, and you have Arkansas State with the ball, major, major backdoor oh, yeah. risk in this game. If you're betting this game, you're not. if you're betting Arkansas State, you're not saying they're going to stop Memphis. You're saying that, and I know they lost Bayless, they lost Merritt, but they bring back Adams and they have capable receivers. You know, they bring back Murray at, at running back. And these are five upperclassmen returning starters in the offensive line. So you would think that they're going to get a little better. I think that they can score enough with Memphis to get in with this number. And again, Memphis might have some growing pains with this new defense, uh, whole new defensive staff uh, and switching to a three, four base, which I don't necessarily think fits the roster. I know they bring return a lot of production, but that's something to watch. I think both changes on both defenses, Arkansas State, it might help them a little bit. Um, and then on Memphis, you might see some growing pains early on. Um, I, all right. Do you, yeah. not think li- do you not think live this is a game you're probably going to get Arkansas State at 28 and you're going to get Memphis maybe at 11 or 14? I mean, it just feels like a game you could sit back and pick your shots on these two teams and get a good 10 to 14-point window on, on, on a live point spread with these guys. Yeah, it's a probably a good trading game. I mean, the other thing is that why I don't want to bet too much on any of these games, especially early on, is we're learning about, okay, what is this? What is COVID information? How is this all going to work? There's going to be a lot of line moves. But, you know, also in baseball, we saw – now, there, there could have been some uh, changes with the ball and there were some humidors, but we the pitchers, <laughs> were, the pitchers were way ahead of the hitters for multiple reasons early on. So the question – the question here that we're asking is, and you hear, you'll hear different opinions, are offenses or defenses going to be ahead of the curve? We don't really have any sample size to go off. We have one shit fest of an FCS game. And the offenses looked really bad. There was a, what Central Arkansas's quarterback, who set records last year, couldn't complete a forward pass most of the game. So, but, but also you can make the argument that defenses are going to struggle to tackle right? And tackling is going to be rusty. So then do we see even more shootouts or is the execution on offense or the quarterbacks are off? Is the timing off? I don't know the answer to this question, but it's something that we'll, we'll start to see. And I think that whatever the answer is, whether it's defenses are rustier or offenses are rustier, relatively speaking to the other, it's going to persist longer into the season than normal with like these shortened workouts and, you know, COVID disruptions. So that's something that I'm just watching every game for it to try to get a read on, which makes it difficult to really lay down money, especially early on when you, you don't know half the, the starting quarterback could be out with COVID the day of the game. Well, conditioning too. I think you need to take conditioning yep. uh, as something here. And if you're looking at the games this weekend, you know, uh, Army, it's going to be 80 degrees. Uh, Texas State's going to be 94. But that's fine for both SMU and Texas State. They practice in it. And uh, for Memphis, it's going to be a steamy 85. So, it, you know, we'll check out, you know, third, fourth quarter, games might slow down. 
uh, you know, first game of the season, conditioning's a factor. Yeah, I mean, that's – and, again, I've stressed this a lot about teams with a lot of returning production, continuity and scheme, quarterback, coaching staff. But that also – another factor there is if you have a lot of, like, upperclassmen and returning starters, when we didn't have spring practices and shortened summer prep and all that, the onus – a lot of the onus falls on the individual players to go out there, work out, stay up, stay in shape, you know, study. And teams that have a lot of returning starters that already know the system that are upperclassmen are more likely, in my opinion, to, to do that, you know, to have that individual responsibility to the team when, you know, there's not these mandated spring practices and workouts and you, it falls on you to have the discipline. So a lot of fascinating factors to watch. Hope you're enjoying this great Action Network podcast. I want to make sure you know about the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked On has a daily podcast on your favorite team. Welcome to you, Locked On 49ers. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. Welcome, everybody, to the Locked On Lakers podcast. Let's go. Locked On podcasts are hosted by the local experts who know your team better than anyone and give you the inside scoop. So go to your podcast app and search Locked On, your favorite team. Subscribe to your Locked On podcast. Let's move on to Monday Night Football. BYU and Navy. This line has been all over the place. BYU is now a two-and-a-half-point favorite at BetMGM. Over, the under has come down to 50, which if you followed me in the app, you saw I put an under in a 52-and-a-half. You could throw out any service academy trends here. I mean, the line is between a field goal. It's not like, hey, take the dog or, and I mean, it's just who do you think is – where do you rate power rate this game? How do you think it's going to play out? So BYU has Wilson coming back at quarterback. He's presumably healthy, but he's basically without all of his top receivers from last year. And his offensive line brings back a lot of experience. And awful news this week is Matt Bushman, their star tight end, is going to play in the NFL, went down with an injury. I haven't got an update today, but, I mean, everything I read is that he, he tore his Achilles and he's going to be out for the year. All the quotes – during the summer, where we we're going to feed him, they were they were just they were he was going to be the feature of this offense. So they lost all their top receivers. They lost their star tight end the week of the game. On the other side of the ball, you have Navy trying to replace Malcolm Perry at quarterback. All he did last year was set an FBS record for a quarterback single season rushing yards of over two thousand. That's who they're trying to replace. They have Perry Olson on the roster who has some experience, but they're not going with him. They're going with Dalen Morris which is he surprisingly won the job. There are reports out of Navy that they're going to pass the ball more. This is a pro-style prospect, and you might see them. Obviously, it's still a triple option. You might see them pass more, maybe on like third and long, and more passing, pure passing situations. That gave me a little bit of hesitation betting the under because on those third and longs, you know Navy's still going to run the ball, and then you know the clock's going to be moving. But now I don't. I really don't want Navy throwing it where either they get an explosive passing or they throw a pick or it's incomplete and the clock stops and they punt it back. Instead of going running it on third down, sitting there huddling, thinking about it, maybe running it on a fourth down again, going driving the midfield, driving for another seven minutes. I mean, those are the things that this is why the service academies are so unique. So it looks like Dale Morris is going to get the nod, but they have to replace some pieces on the offensive line. Ford Higgins at center. It's really going to hurt. They have Carruthers at fullback, and fullback is the key to the triple option offense. But the rest, I mean, the slot back has been crushed by injuries and COVID opt-outs. Their first two players in the depth chart and their slot back are, are out. Their defense has, they feature one of the best 
linebackers in the country, but they were really hurt by the transfer portal. And uh, especially at their striker position off the edge. I mean, it's, there's questions at nose tackle at cornerback and, you know, new quarterback shortened system, offensive line. I mean, shortened preparation, a lot of questions with Navy. You would expect the defense still to be the strength of the team. Uh, Defense was excellent last year, but there's some questions at corner, but I'm not sure BYU can really take advantage with all the, all new weapons and losing Bushman this week. And on the other side, I think Navy's offense is going to struggle early on. BYU has the beef up front to, I think, disrupt some things. So I like the under 52 and a half. Um, what are you seeing in a BYU from a pace perspective, about average nationally last year? Uh, what are you seeing in BYU Navy? Monday night football. By the way, last time we saw BYU play on Monday, the Miami Beach Bowl when they got in a fight. Remember that at the end of the game against Memphis? That was a Monday afternoon. So I'm always on board with Monday college football. What are you seeing here? Um, do you know who's going to eat on Monday night? 320-pound uh, nose guard uh, Tonga for BYU. I mean, this offensive oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Tonga, to support your acclaim for the under, uh, I got two things I want to say about the under. First off, Tonga is 320 pounds. They're going to line up over whoever the new center is for Navy. There's a couple of missing spots on this offensive line for Navy. I go back to what I said about Army, about lining up shoulder to shoulder for a triple option offense. Of course, we don't even know. Are they all of a sudden zone pass blockers now? I, I think the offensive line, they got to find out who's playing and what their identity is on Navy. But Tonga is going to eat for BYU. That is a factor. That's, a, that's something that we just know. So to support the under there, that's going to happen. Two, Navy was one of the most unbelievable red zone teams we've seen in college football history. I believe now I know they were number one in red zone touchdown efficiency last year. I believe they scored a touchdown in every red zone attempt, except for one, the entire season that has to have an effect this year. You can't keep that. You also don't have Malcolm Perry anymore. You don't have Malcolm Perry anymore. The reason for that. that number that was going on last year. Like, I mean, there's gotta be major regression to even if they get into the red zone, you're not going to score a touchdown every single time. Malcolm Perry was a cheat code. I mean, that wasn't even fair what they were doing what, you know, when it mattered past the 40-yard line last year. So that's two things that I think support the under. The total that I've got here in the 50s on my screen that I made are just off, based off mathematical projections, but that's because of what they did last year with Malcolm Perry, and it doesn't apply. So I, I, I understand you know, the numbers going down on the total, and I think there's a good reason for that. It's not just Bushman, but BYU lost three of their receivers in the offseason. So, I mean, where is Zach Wilson going to throw? Zach Wilson was named uh, starting quarterback Yesterday, as if it was a question, you know, I am very much pro Zach Wilson since he was the potato Same. bowl potato bowl MVP a couple of years ago. So he's got nobody to throw to, and Navy is going to go under some sort of crisis identity. So to me, this just screams under, and you might want to, you know, get it if you're listening to this tomorrow morning. You might want to grab it because I think this is going to be on the move. This could get into the, you know, below a 48 or a 47. We're going to cross some key numbers here, but uh, spread perspective. You know, I make this uh, Navy minus one, and and we're sitting at uh, BYU minus two and a half. So I think this is a game that's probably never going to exceed three on every, any side, and it's probably best if you want to play Navy, take the money line. You know, I, I wouldn't take the points. I'd take the money line here. And if, and if you want BYU, maybe take the money line also because I don't think there's going to be a lot of points here scored. So I agree with you on the under. Whether I'll pull the trigger and play, we'll see. But, I mean, i got to read more into this Navy throwing the ball. BYU also uh, doesn't get pressure on the quarterback, which is another thing that I don't think Navy's going to have success throwing the ball. And who, who right. knows to do it early? BYU, they don't really get natural pressure off the edge a lot. Although they're going to a four-man front this year, more four-man looks, which, which isn't necessarily ideal 
against the triple option. A lot of studies done that it's like a three, four, you want a three, four, you don't want a three, three, five. You want a three, four and uneven front to, to really stop the triple option. doesn't get mean a four man front can't. Uh, and obviously the extra preparation will help. But I mean, if Navy comes out chucking on third downs, it will hurt the under potentially, right? They could throw picks. They could, I mean, it's just going to stop the clock a lot more, but it's hard for me. Well, remember last year we thought that there was good, who was going to run more run and shoot army was supposed to run more run and shoot mm-hmm. because they had the guy from Hawaii. I mean, and then what did army <laughs> do all year? The same thing they always do back to be an army, right? Uh, yeah. Only eight, only eight possessions total between the two teams uh, in the game. So uh, for me, it's going to be probably a no play on the side. There's too many question marks on both sides of the ball. It's not crossing any key numbers. So like when it moves from one to one, it's not, it's not as, it's not the same thing as moving from like two to four. It looks like it could be dummy money or setup money. It's not moving through key numbers, but it's been moving towards BYU. So we'll see. But yeah, I'm on the under there. I would still play some at 50 and I agree. It could keep coming down. Uh, but Navy, watching the Navy offense is, it's going to be interesting. Replacing Malcolm Perry is a enormous chore. All right. So those are the four FBS games going through them all in depth. We will have write-ups. You can check out my uh, service academy betting guide that's applicable to really any service academy uh, game all year long. And I have some notes on both of those games. Colin will have a bunch of stuff out as always. Make sure you check out actionnetwork.com and the Action app. Before we get out of here, let's go three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. But first down here, let's talk about some of the news that has come out recently. We've mentioned a lot of the announcements, and there could be more of opt-outs. But LSU, I mean, they now lose one of the best receivers in the country. They lose their starting one of their starting interior defensive linemen as they were transitioning back to a 4-3. And this is a team now that, what, has four, four or five returning starters now? I mean, all new coaches. Yeah. An interesting question is, what would you make last year's LSU team versus this year's LSU team, and how much of a downgrade with, I mean, now you're losing Chase, you're losing Chelvin. I mean, there's a lot of turnover. And then you have UCF that had 10 players announced that they're going to opt out. Now, it's not anyone that's going to, you know, it's not a star, so to speak, but it's going to hurt their depth, especially along the interior. And I, th- and I believe there was a couple starters um, they'll be okay, but it's probably worth a down, a slight do- downgrade of UCF. What do you make specifically of these two teams and the recent opt-out announcements? Yeah, I know LSU, I had downgraded 11 points uh, from last year's team, from last year's national championship team, and I'm not sure that was enough because we can't overstate enough what Joe Burrow did last year because it has never been seen in college football before. So I'm not really sure the you know what I've docked, you know, what he did they they beat every single projection. You know anybody that makes a power rating and anybody that does advanced analytics. Uh, Joe Burrow blew them all out of the water. So we may have to come back from that a little bit. But when you look at LSU to continue to lose everybody that was on that national championship team, completely brand new faces everywhere. Not to mention a new passing game coordinator. You know I make this game. I think it really comes down to what do we make the LSU Mississippi State game? You know before some of the news, I had it. LSU minus 25. I think public perception of what Mississippi State is going to be, how much love I've seen under Mississippi State versus how much LSU has lost, I wouldn't be shocked one minute to see this spread under three touchdowns, which is probably going to make us a buyer on LSU uh, here in a few weeks. But 
from a numerical, from a mathematic perspective, I'm just at minus 11 and a half. I don't know how many losses we have to take before I jack it down anymore. I've just got to see the product on the field. The big question to me with LSU is, are you elite level in recruiting? And my example is, is Urban Meyer a couple of years ago had four returning starters on an Ohio State team that went to the college football playoff. Returning starters don't matter to Alabama. Returning starters don't matter to Ohio State. Does returning starters matter to LSU? And we're about to have that question answered this year. Have they reached the upper echelon? Because, you know, Kirby's plugging and playing five stars right into that defense every year at Georgia. Alabama, it doesn't matter. Ohio State, it doesn't matter. Has LSU reached that level? Now, Central Florida, they're they're loaded too deep on every side. And the 10 players that left, there were some offensive linemen there. There's Daryl Mack was in there. They got three quarterbacks already. I don't think it affects Central Florida that much. I didn't take anything off of their power rating. Um, it wasn't anybody, you know, big enough for me to move the dial on them. But, um, you know, LSU is a different story. I think public perception is going to catch fire on this LSU team. And you're going to see a massive, a, a number against Mississippi State that should not be there. And we'll probably end up being buyers on them. With losing Chase, you're losing the last year's, not only everything you lost, you lost last year's Belitnikoff Award winner for the best receiver mm-hmm. in the nation. And apparently, reports are that he didn't elect to not play the season because of COVID. It was because of just, hey, I'm not going to get hurt. And the rule is you have to be three years out of high school before you get drafted, which he will be now for the next draft. So he's just not going to play. Maybe agents got to him. But there's another theory here that he did it this late. Does the LSU offense look that bad where it's if he plays, (laughs) not only is he risking injury, but he's risking having his draft stock go down. I mean, the last time everyone saw him, he was a stud. He played with Burrow. He's a Blitnikoff award winner. He's doing it this late. Said it's not related to COVID. Does the LSU mm-hmm. offense look really, really bad? It's a thought I've had. I mean, this is not it. We're not done. We got, th- we got three weeks until SEC starts. We're not done with these players. Yeah. Uh, I think LSU with Chase out is at least, I don't know, maybe two touchdowns worse than last year. But mm-hmm. I could never get them high enough. I was just bumping them to bump them last year because they would just shatter any number. All right, let's move on to second down here and talk some FCS in some FCS or no. Southland or SEC? Big Sky or Big Ten? It's time to play FCS or no. All right, as we said, there's no lines out here yet. Uh, we're not spending a ton of time on these games, especially this weekend. You know, we have Stephen F. Austin at UTEP. What's up, El Paso? We're talking Minor Nation. Out in the West Texas town of El Paso. Picks up. At UTEP, Stephen F. Austin. That's at night. Uh, I guess we can get a, a wrong team favorite out there in case where this line opens up. You think Stephen F. Austin is going to be a favorite over UTEP? Uh, I haven't listed as Stephen F. Austin. If you look at if you look at Sager and Stephen F. Austin would have ended last year uh, as I think a one point favorite over UTEP, and then normal progression on UTEP with their returning production of their success rate knocked them down a couple points more over over uh, the off season. So UTEP yeah, brings had, nothing back somehow. Nothing zero, and Stephen F. Austin doesn't bring anything back either. So. Uh, I mean, really, this is embarrassing to talk about this, but yeah, Stephen F. Austin. Probably should. whoever's getting points in this game is probably going to get some money out of me, and I can't imagine that's going to be UTEP. But 
Uh, you know, Stephen F. Austin's got some huge holes to fill too, but UTEP, yeah, uh, definitely according to Sagarin, finished lower than Stephen F. Austin last year. Yeah, UTEP had a couple bright spots last year. They're 2-34 and 34 the past three years. They stink. I mean, they just stink. Um, but last year, they, I mean, they're, trying, they're just bringing in a ton of JUCO transfers and trying to strike gold. You know, last year, two of their bright spots, their coverage wasn't terrible. They had two decent safeties. They're both gone. Their punter, it's, it's a reach to find good things to say about UTEP, was okay. He transferred to Michigan State. Their defense is going from a 3-4 to a 4-3. They have a wide-open quarterback race. I mean, they have like eight or nine returning. So they, lost, they bring nothing. It's a disaster. Hard to find really good info on Stephen F. Austin and what's going on there. I just had to get a shout-out for Minor Nation. Earlier today, we have Eastern Kentucky at Marshall, uh, 1 o'clock on ESPN. I got nothing there. Anything from you? No, Eastern Kentucky is a really tough team to find information on. They did have that COVID outbreak. They had a player uh, leave the program, uh, some rumored mishandling of what was going on. You know, per offseason adjustment with Marshall, per some power ratings, uh, we're looking at a, a line that should be about 23. So I don't see a single number out there. There's no number at BetMGM. Uh, I expect Marshall to be around 23 points. A big season for Marshall. They're they're really wanting to celebrate. Uh, they want fans at games. They have a you know big homecoming this year, celebrating an anniversary. And uh, but Eastern Kentucky uh, ranked lower than New Mexico State when you integrate with FBS. Uh, so what would you make Marshall over New Mexico State? Probably about 23 points. So look for that number. All right. The other game I wanted to mention is North Texas hosting Houston Baptist. Houston Baptist has an explosive offense through the air. They could put up some points here. Their defense is just an absolute disaster. Last year, Houston Baptist, and they returned their star players on offense. They lost thirty. They lost 36-34 to UTEP, by the way. They could have won that game. That's one of UTEP's uh, few wins over the last few years. Right. But, I mean, they, they beat South Dakota 53-52. to You know, they beat Texas Southern 68-31. to They lost in – I mean, this, they just – they can get into major shootouts. They don't, their defense isn't that good. But North Texas is a team that I potentially might want to fade here on a lot of change. They have a five new catch, coaches on the staff, new DC, new special teams, new co-OC. Now Seth Luttrell will take over calling plays. They still don't have a quarterback. Luttrell came out and said yesterday, you're going to name co-starters in Austin On and, and Bean. Austin On was an ex-Yankees minor leaguer, I believe. They have Siggers back in the backfield, two solid receivers in Darden and Shorter, but three out of five starters on the offensive line have to be replaced. The defense might be switching from a 3-3-5 to a 4-3. Just new coaches everywhere. O-line is, is young and raw. The defense's secondary last year was atrocious. So a lot of change going on here. And you're playing a, a Houston Baptist offense that could score, and North Texas is on my fade list. With all, just all, there's a lot of turnover going on down in Denton, but uh, I don't know if I'll get involved here, but any thoughts on North Texas? This will be the first time I believe since 2000, 2015 that Mason Fine has not been under center. Uh, that's monstrous. Seth Luttrell will call the plays for the first time, which I didn't know that. I know he's a huge part of the offensive game plan, yeah. but he's never been the play caller 
on the sidelines and he will be calling every single play into the huddle. He's taking it all on himself. I mean, you talk about a fallen star here, a guy that was going to take the Kansas State job, ends up staying in North Texas. They have a tumultuous year and now he's pretty much stuck it in Denton. So uh, I have no love for North Texas. I think just the fact alone that Mason Fine's not there and the fact that Latrell has had to take over play calling duty, something that he's never done before. This isn't a team that I want to play on. And if Houston Baptist could put some points up, uh, this may be a game, an FCS game I, I get into, but I'll, I'll definitely have to do some more work on Houston Baptist because, uh, you know, they were power rated at the final season last year, one point ahead of UMass, uh, somewhere around 230th, I think, out of all the teams that are that are listed in the FBS-FCS crossover. Uh, so I need to see if Houston Baptist has improved, if they can put some points up. Uh, but more importantly, the, this North Texas thing, this is going to be – you know, a fade on them until we see something come out of them. Looking at their schedule, they don't play SMU until September 19th. So this would be a good gauge. Keep your eye on this and make sure you read the box score before the lines come out in their future games. All right, let's move on to third down here. Uh, let's just talk the other conferences really quick, the non-Power Fives. It's hard to find lines out here for those. The AAC, we talked about on earlier podcasts. I think we're both fans of UCF, even after this announcement. Uh, I'm lower on Memphis than most and you know UCF has to go to and by the way there's no division so it's just the top two teams they go to Memphis and they host Cincinnati I think that's going to be the difference Uh, I like their secondary Uh, they return a lot this offense is going to be explosive they were just really I think I mentioned this before they were just really unlucky last year in close games I think that flips this year I think they're the favorite to win the AAC anything at plus money I would look at taking I'm not a rush to really get a lot down um, in this wild season, a lot of uncertainty, but I'm all about UCF in the AAC. Any thoughts on the AAC? Yeah, I completely agree that you should get Central Florida plus money if you can find it. If you if you can't find that or if they're listed as a favorite to win the conference and you want to push off, I would bypass Memphis because their schedule is a little bit tougher than other teams in the AAC. SMU is a team that is trading around 25 to 1 in some places, uh, and they have an easier schedule. They don't play Central Florida uh, they get to host Cincinnati. They get to host Memphis. Pretty, you know, I mean, they start the season off with the likes of Texas State and North Texas giving, and Stephen F. Austin giving them time to get ready for, for conference play. I mean, they're, they're playing a full slate of games, and they end their season with East Carolina. So uh, bookended uh, easy games, and SMU returns 75% of their offense. They're sort of defense optional when you're scoring 50 points a game. So I think this is a one-hedge ticket. You can buy an SMU ticket. You can hedge it against Memphis, and they'll probably be playing UCF in the in the championship game. Yeah, the one thing to note is there is still, well, projected to be a conference championship game. Even though UConn left, they were going to go independent, and then they didn't. They decided not to play this year, but they got a waiver to play a conference title game with just eleven teams. There's not going to be division, so it's just the top two teams um, will go to the conference championship. If you believe in Navy and their defense and their offense can figure it out and replace Malcolm Perry. Uh, The interesting thing about Navy this year is their schedule. Um, So obviously we talked about them starting against BYU, but they they, they go to Tulane and they host Temple. And I'm just talking about conference games here. Then they're at ECU. They're home against Houston. They're at SMU. So that could be the difference between SMU and Navy. So they avoid Cincy. They avoid Central Florida and they host Memphis. But Colin, to your point, they do have to go to SMU, and I think we believe in SMU, their offense a little more this year. I do – the other two conferences we still need to get to, Conference USA 
Uh, FAU looking for their third title in the past four years. Marshall is a player there as well. You have new coaches at FAU, ODU, and UTSA. East is pretty wide open there. Oh, and, and by the way, I should say with in Conference USA, the last time either division favorite won, the, just won the division, the favorite going into the year was back in 2015. So there's been a lot of upsets in this conference before compared to preseason expectations. One of the teams that's really interesting to me is Western Kentucky. I mean, this team returns a ton. Very experienced team. The question's just at quarterback. Ty Story's gone, and they just named uh, Pigram the Maryland transfer the quarterback. So depending on how that goes, this team could be really good. They were able to retain their defensive coordinator, Clayton White, which is huge. He's going to get a a head coaching job somewhere soon. Uh, Anything in the Conference USA? Yeah, Pigram is the uh, is the definitive example of a quarterback that is low in success rate and high in explosiveness. Uh, so, Western Kentucky, you know, has gotten up off the mat and made themselves a contender in this conference. But I'm going to stick with old old Blazers here. You know, I have them projected to win more games than anybody else in conference play. 82% of the offense comes back. 80% of the defense comes back. They were second in success rate on defense last year. Most havoc-minded group of five team there is out there. Extremely well coached. Bill Clark is uh, everything to us gamblers. I think Western Kentucky and UAB is going to be the conference championship game. Uh, Both those teams can be found well into plus money. So I would either split a half unit or ride with one of them. But uh, definitely those are the two teams I would go with. I'll go Western Kentucky, you go UAB. Let's do steak dinner in Vegas whenever the damn thing opens back up and we're okay. all <laughs> we all can right. play black blackjack without a damn shield in my face. Sounds good. Uh, and then the last conference here that we'll cover is the Sun Belt. Don't let the ladies come between you and the belt. Which has been dominated by Appalachian State. Louisiana can't get over the hump against them. Um, are we gonna see that championship game again or you got any sleepers what are your thoughts on the belt uh well app state is it's tough to pick somebody else besides app state and the odds reflect that um you can't get app state i think anywhere at plus money so you got to take a pass on that and if there's one team that is an extreme long shot that i love and i love them every year uh i think it's because they came into fayetteville and, and made arkansas look like a fool but coastal carolina does return 88 percent of a very dynamic what do you ever want to call it? A triple option in space diamond package thing they've got going on there in Myrtle Beach. Spread uh, option-ish. Yeah, spread yeah. option-ish. Yeah, so I wish they would run the RPPO. So uh, 20th in success rate on offense last year for Coastal Carolina. 88% of that offense comes back. Uh, just about everybody. Problem? Defense was 107th in success rate. It is a problem every single year. They don't tackle anybody. Pretty pathetic. Even on the list of Sunbelt teams. I mean, App State was seventh in success rate last year on defense. Everybody else is pretty much outside the top 80. So no one else is really playing defense either. I love Coastal from an offensive perspective. Not a lot of change. Going to be a lot of consistency there. Coastal is trading above 50 to 1 in some markets. So go through a little bit something on that. But I can't back App State with a new coach. Uh, He's been there a while. Uh, He was former offensive line coach. But, you know, taking a conference champ at at paying minus 125, it's just not long-term, not a good idea. Yeah, Coastal last year, by the way, lost three late league games by a combined seven points. So, I mean, they were a lot better in their league compared to normal. Uh, I mean, but App State's clearly the favorite. Um, in one division, Zach Thomas is back. They have 17 starters back. They did lose a couple key pieces on defense, but this is clearly the best team. The West should come down on paper to Louisiana and Arkansas State. The problem for Arkansas State, they have to go to Louisiana again. 
So uh, I agree with you. If you want to take a really, really long shot, um, go with Coastal Carolina. Um, can, can, we I, get the anal- can we get the analysis out of the way now and just say we're, we're taking App State against Louisiana? We don't care what the spread is. I, I, it's just like clockwork. I, I don't know if I can have more any more love for Louisiana against App State. They're 0-8 all time against App State. Um, and most of them have been recently. Um, all right, we'll have, many, we'll have much more on all of those teams in the belt, the American and Conference USA throughout the season. We'll, the benefit of this is we get to spend more time going deeper into games with uh, smaller slates. That'll wrap up our week one preview. We will be back next week for our week two preview. We'll have some actual power three matchups to go through. We'll also have our, you know, all of our normal episodes next week. Chris Raybon and I will do NFL week one preview. That'll be out Thursday. Colonize college football week two preview will be out on Friday. Uh, Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me as always, Colin. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review. Uh, Again, say number one podcast for sports betters. Leave your Twitter handle. Uh, Get a free Edge subscription, and I've been known to give out other things to people that do, so just make sure you leave uh, your Twitter handle as well. Download the Action app. Check all of our stuff out for the weekend on there and actionnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you all later. Cheers. Peace out. We're finished talking.